Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, July the 10th, 2023. It is currently 2.35 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And can you feel it? Can you feel it? Can you feel the excitement? Because, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a sermon review. Did, uh, do, do you feel that way when I say it's time for a sermon review? Do you get that excited? I don't know if you get that excited, but it is time for a sermon review. Earlier today, we did a live broadcast about 53, 55 minutes long talking about Christianity and power. And we address this kind of concept, this idea that's prevalent within Christianity, that when you become a Christian, you are basically given power so that you can obey the law, so that you can keep the law. However, even though you're told you have power, at some point you're told, well, you don't have complete power because, well, you can't be perfect, but you have some kind of power. Okay, it gets all complicated. And we talked about that. We addressed a number of issues. And after that broadcast... Someone sent me a link to the latest episode of the Lutheran Hour podcast, and they said that they felt that it was somewhat connected to what I had just covered. And I thought, you know what? I love listening to the Lutheran Hour. Let me listen to it. Now, I could either just sit here in the studio by myself and listen to it. I could sit downstairs by myself and listen to it, or... I can turn on the microphone, go live, and listen to it with the millions and millions of people. Okay, maybe millions is a little bit of an exaggeration. With the thousand, okay, maybe may, with the five of you who listen to this podcast, however many who may listen to this, however, may, it doesn't matter. Whoever may listen, let's state it that way. Let's listen together. Let's listen to the latest episode of the Lutheran Hour, and let's see how it relates to the things I just talked about in the last live broadcast, even if it doesn't relate. We know we're going to hear some theology, some scripture. We're going to have to use our discernment. We're going to, we're going to consider, think, and we should all benefit greatly from it. So are you ready? I hope you're ready. Now, we are, I entitled this because... Just I just gathered a little bit of information about it. I didn't gather a lot. Somehow Darth Vader seems to play an important role in this episode. So I think I called this Darth Vader and theology. So how does Darth Vader, you know, play a part in this episode of the Lutheran Hour? I do know, according to the Lutheran Hour website, that this is based on Romans chapter 7, verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, a lot of Christians quote Romans 7, 24 and say, Jesus Christ delivers us and he delivers us in the here and now in a practical way. But I, I always, I guess I always get bothered that many pastors and many Christians don't emphasize Romans 7, 25. Because Paul says this, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I serve the law of God, 
but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul seems to indicate that the reality of his life is that with the mind, he's serving the law of God, but with his flesh, he's serving the law of sin. And I think that's the reality of the Christian life. There is this conflict in our mind. We've changed our minds. We, we know the law of God. We want to serve it. We want to be faithful to it. But in our bodies, in our actions, we fall short and we serve the law of sin. We've talked about that verse a lot. Because I think it's a very important one. So I know Romans 7.24 plays a part in this and Darth Vader. I don't really know anything else. Somehow it's possibly connected to what we talked about in the last live broadcast. There's a lot of unknowns because remember, whenever I do, do a sermon review, I don't listen to it first. So I go into it just as blind as you're going into it, making it more fun making it more exciting, but also making it always a little, uh, there's a, there, uh, there is a lot of unknowns because I, I, I don't know what's coming, but I think it's fun. It's more like we're sitting down together and we're going to listen to a sermon and we're going to talk about it. I, there, it's nothing rehearsed. There's nothing planned. We're just going to listen and see what we can learn. I have fast forwarded this uh, past all of the introductory material of the Lutheran Hour, and they just introduced the speaker. We're going right into it. This is the latest episode of the Lutheran Hour podcast. You should look it up on your favorite podcast app. Subscribe to it. I obviously disagree with Lutheranism when it comes to, you know, infant baptism, but they do a very good job and a, a typically in most conservative Lutheran churches, with a proper distinction between law and gospel, which I believe is missing in a large portion of the evangelical world. There is not a proper distinction between law and gospel. So I'm I'm excited to see where this goes. Um, I don't, I think it's like 27 minutes long. So I don't, we're going to do every, you know, typically sermon reviews go long. So be prepared for an, an episode to go over an hour. Sit back, Bible, notebook, pencil, something to drink, maybe something to snack on as we feed upon, well, some scripture, some theology, and hopefully a very good discussion. Let's jump in right now. He may be the most iconic on-screen villain of all time, but when you lean into his story, you learn that there's more to him than that. He's not just this big, scary guy with a black cape and a black samurai helmet breathing through an iron lung. Darth Vader. I'm talking about Darth Vader from the Star Wars franchise. Now, maybe you didn't grow up with him like me, watching the drama of the original Star Wars trilogies unfold, leaning in on the edge of your seat, then you and your friends acting out lightsaber duels between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, and then having that nightmare when Darth Vader is stalking you through the dark cave in the Dagobah system, and you're running as fast as you can, trying to get away, still running in slow motion, though. Maybe you never had that dream, but a lot of us did. And for us, Darth Vader is the most memorable villain, because we Okay, this is a, a good opening illustration because I'm curious. Where Darth Vader, we're starting with Darth Vader. Now, I don't know how you reacted to Darth Vader the first time you saw it, 
I was pretty little uh, for the first Star Wars movie. Um, I went with my father. It was like opening night, and uh, we stood in this long line. We got in. I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was great. I thought it was amazing. Yeah, Star Wars was amazing. Then the second one they made, I thought, okay, this is still good. And I think by the third one, I was like, this, what is, it just started feeling like it turned into movies to make characters that could become toys to sell. I started kind of losing my interest. And as it, and as the, you know, the franchise continued, I lost more and more interest. It's like the first one held this magical place in my life. The second one was really cool. But by the third one, I was kind of like, what is this? Was it the Ewoks or, or whoever those little creatures were? And the whole thing, and, and it's like they're beating Stormtroopers. Storm like the whole thing, just it just felt like that they were making characters to make toys. And it, I don't know. I, I just, it, I, yeah. I And if I get names wrong, Star Wars fans will be furious because I stated a character's name wrong or something along that line. By the time it gets to the third one, I'm, I'm kind of like starting to kind of go, yeah, whatever. And after that, I did not really care. So I I know does that is that blasphemy to you Star Wars fans? I apologize. But I am it is interesting that he's using this story, this character, Darth Vader. And he he's gonna use this us I guess to get us to obviously some biblical or theological concept. I'm fascinated. It's got my attention. Let's see where it goes. We just kept leaning into his story. In a lot of ways, those first six films are his story. George Lucas, the creator of those films, has referred to the saga as the tragedy of Darth Vader. So what was it about him that made him so memorable? Was it his imposing presence, his menacing breathing, his cold, calculating hatred? That's part of it, but there are plenty of other fictional villains depicted more evilly. And what makes them less memorable is that they are depicted as less than human, as monsters or demons. They have no story for us to lean into. And that's what makes Darth Vader different. He has a story that draws us in. When you first meet him, he looks like a machine made for evil. But then you lean into the story, the drama unfolds, and you see that he's more than just a villain. In some ways, he's... He's a victim, and you feel sorry for him. You understand him. You see yourself in him. All right, now this is where they kind of lose me a little bit because I don't know if I ever saw myself in Darth Vader. I don't know if I ever felt sorry for Darth Vader. I don't even really know if I ever con- uh, really understood the concept. That I guess the first six films is really the story of Darth Vader. I... I, I I missed all of that. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. As much as I love film analysis, I I, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even I don't know if I can tell you the 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 three films after the first three. I don't know if I can even tell you. Like 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 I'm telling you. By the time the third film came to a conclusion, I think I saw the third film at Westgate Theater in Abilene, Texas, of what South First. Uh, uh, connected to Westgate Mall. Yeah, you see, I, I can remember where I was, but I remember walking out, kind of standing there, kind of just feeling like, Ugh, I don't know about that one. 
I don't know about that. Like, a, like I, I kind of started like, like my, I was contemplating why I had lost, like the, the the series lost to something, but I wasn't sitting there contemplating the story of Darth Vader or his story, or he's a victim, or I see myself in him, or I feel bad for him. I, to, I, to be honest, none of that. I, I must have missed something. I'm, I'm more than willing to acknowledge that. I, I don't know why I missed it, but. I did. So this is maybe for those who really followed the story, maybe you can relate to I cannot relate to this very much. I can't, you know, that this is this is one of those times where you can use an illustration. It, it's fascinating because he's using Darth Vader. But at this point, the emotional connection here, I'm just like Darth Vader's the bad guy and whatever. I really don't much care. All right. So but let's see if he can connect this to something Biblical and theological. Okay, all right. See, so, some some people are filling me in on some of the the mythology of Darth Vader, the the historical, the background context of Darth Vader. That, that and I would probably not know any of that. All right, let, let's continue. And that is a transformative moment, isn't it? Even if it is only fiction. Because it can help you see yourself in another person, in a real person, even a person that you may be inclined to hate or to resent or dismiss. To see yourself in him or her and all of you in some greater shared story. Now, that's a fascinating concept. Typically in movies, are there movies or novels where you see yourself in the villain, you you almost find you find some sympathy for the villain. You see yourself in them. I, I look. I, this never occurred. I, this there was no transformative moment in the story of Star Wars for me, where I'm like, oh, I I see myself in Darth Vader, and I feel bad for him. I, I none of that ever occurred for me. Maybe maybe uh, maybe for others it has. So at this point, the illustration's a little bit losing me. It, I'm still fascinated to see where he's going with. With it, but at this point, I'm like, I, I didn't have any of these reactions to Darth Vader. Zero, none. Okay, none at all. all right, but so, if well, we could talk. If if you if you watch the Star Wars films, who did you see yourself in? Who did you see yourself like? Who did you connect to? Like, I definitely wasn't Darth Vader. And I and again, I don't, I don't think I ever felt bad for him for even one second. But. Like I said, I don't even, I don't, I don't, I didn't make it really past the first, <laughs> after the first three movies, I was kind of like, all right, life goes on, I'm moving on. All right, let, let, let's continue. That is a transformational moment. A few years ago, I attended a lecture by a Holocaust survivor, Dr. Inga Auerbacher. She told us about her town doctor in Germany. He was kind and took good care of our family she told us. It didn't matter to him that we were Jews. But then she revealed that the same doctor also worked for the Nazis and did medical experiments on Jewish people, many of whom died in the process. In telling us this, Dr. Auerbacher in no way condoned this man's behavior, nor did she excuse it, but she did ask, I wonder if there is some evil person in all of us. In the face of real villains, 
leaning into their story may be easier said than done. 2,000 years ago, a man named Paul wrote a letter to people who were dealing with real villains. This people group dwelled in the ancient city of Rome. They were a minority group, and because of their marginalized status, they had many people in their lives they could readily identify as villains. They could villainize their government, their political leaders, who had a track record of persecuting the members of their group. They could villainize the purveyors of the dominant culture with its values that were vile and offensive to all that they held dear. And they could villainize each other, which may have been the most emotionally draining problem in front of them, each other. See, it's one thing to complain about an evil tyrant at work or a morally bankrupt politician at the Capitol, but it's another thing to have a villain in your family, an enemy in your household or in your church. And based on the things that this guy, Paul, says in his letter, it seems that at least some of the people to whom he was writing felt this way. Paul was writing to people who belonged to a church or a a network of house churches. Like them, Paul was a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul was Jewish and came to believe that Jesus was the promised Jewish Messiah, the righteous world savior and ruler God had long promised to their ancestors. Paul believed that Jesus, through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, had inaugurated the kingdom of God on earth. He had become the head of a new family that God was now gathering. And Paul believed that Jesus gave his followers God's spirit to lead them on a worldwide mission to expand this multi-ethnic, multicultural kingdom family. And that's what was happening in Rome. Maybe around 100 or 200 people had come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ. They were baptized into his name, and they began gathering in houses to worship in Jesus' name. And together they started to lean in to this story of the Bible, the true story of the world, the story that leads to the crucified and risen and ruling and returning Jesus, the greater story that we're all a part of, whether we realize it or not. But these same people, even though they had been drawn into this truth about the world together, they still found ways to villainize and victimize each other. There were some in these Roman house churches who saw themselves and those who lived like them as strong in the faith. And everyone else, they saw them as weak. There were others who saw themselves and those who lived like them as pure or clean or innocent. And those who didn't were dirty and guilty and defiled at worst or at best half devoted. The so-called strong despised and dismissed the weak, treating them with contempt. And the so-called pure and innocent resented the ones who thought they were strong. They judged and condemned as though they were in the place of God. Now, this is just the never-ending reality to me of Christianity, is those who come to faith in Christ continue their sinful ways. They are divisive, 
arrogant, condemning. I mean, these kinds of things were going on at the Church of Rome. These kinds of things were going on in the Church of Corinth. These kinds of things were continually going on. And they were attacking and they were villainizing other people. And 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 I think to me, now I don't know where he's going to take this, but I just wanted to make it very, I'll make it very clear for me. I don't know where he's taking this ultimate illustration, but the enemy has always been us. We are, the enemy is inside of us. It's our sinful nature. We are the enemy. We are the ones who need to be saved. We are the ones. We And what happens with a lot of people is we get Christianity, we take our faith, we take the Bible, we take this moral system, and we use it as a weapon to attack and villainize anyone and everyone around us, whether it's the world, liberals, we, we villainize, we attack, but we still remain the villain. We are the villain because we are sinful, and therefore we get a little bit of you know, we get faith, we get a little bit of morality, and then we think that we're better than them. We do more than them. And then, and then, well, we become judgmental, condemning, and we become more and more blind. Sometimes religion or Christianity is all it really does in some cases is blind us to our own sinfulness, to our own depravity, which it should help us see it more. But in some cases, it blinds us. And well, I don't know which direction he's going to go, but he's describing once again, inside the church, all of these things were happening inside the church. Those who came to faith, this is how they were acting in the church of Rome. And we see that throughout the New Testament over and over. And we see it throughout 2000 years of church history. These early Christ followers were villainizing each other and the unbelievers around them. So Paul writes this letter to help them see themselves and others in a new light. Paul's solution to this problem isn't what you might expect. He doesn't say, just mind your own business or just live and let live. No, he explains that some Christ followers really are stronger in the faith than others and some are weaker and that the strong ought to bear with the weak and help them become stronger. Paul's solution to the problem in Rome is nothing like, just be more open-minded, or you do you. No, not at all. Paul explains how some actions do come under God's judgment. They will be judged. God has standards of right and wrong, and he's dead serious about them. There will be a day of reckoning, a judgment day, when everyone will give an account of himself or herself to God. And if you are dealing with a real-life villain right now, a real evil person, maybe that fact can give you some comfort. See, but I think, to me, the, the reality, we're all dealing with a villain. We're all dealing with a truly evil person. And if you would like to meet them, if you, if you would like to find them, just go look in the mirror. We're all dealing with a villain. We're all dealing with an evil person. It's it's you. It's me. It's inside of you. It's inside of me. But there is more to the story. And if we lean into it, we'll see that we who judge others as villains are not as innocent as we think we are. And we who think we're strong are not as strong as we'd like to be. 
To bring us to this transformative moment, Paul invites us to lean into his story. In the middle of the letter, Paul changes his mode of conversation. So far, he's mostly been addressing the letter's recipients as you, as in you all there, or as we, as in all of us together. But right here in the heart of the letter, he changes the mode. He tells his story personally. In this brief section of the letter, which we're about to hear, Paul uses first-person words, I and me and first-person verbs, almost 50 times. Now, not everyone who studies Paul's letter today thinks that Paul is speaking directly about himself here. Some think he's only using personal language rhetorically to give voice to a common Jewish experience or maybe a common religious experience. And they have trouble believing that St. Paul would say such things about himself, referring to himself on the one hand as a model Christ follower, but then on the other hand as a a wretched man, a slave to sin, a, a villain, a victim, and a victor all at the same time. But in other letters, Paul shows that he does, in fact, think of himself in complex, even contradictory ways. He calls himself blameless in Christ, but outside of Christ, the worst of sinners. He sees himself as a sinner and a saint at the same time. Okay, this is going very Luther. This is going very Lutheran. Okay, this is going very Luther. If you've read, uh, you know, the theology of Luther, this uh, this is what Luther really emphasized over and over. On one hand, we are a saint. On one hand, we are blameless. That is in Christ because of imputed righteousness. But in the other, we are slaves to sin. We are sinners. We fall short. We are wretched. We are horrible. We are weak. We we fall continually. How can both be true? Because there are two aspects to the Christian life. My positional standing of what I am in Christ and my practical reality of what I am in the flesh. The two are opposite. They are not the same because one is based off an alien righteousness of Christ that's imputed to me. And the other is based off the reality of who I am in practice and thought and word and deed externally, internally in light of the law of God, and I will be shown to be the villain. I will be shown to be the one who is wicked and sinful because that sinful nature is still very there. And the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And so if Paul is telling a story of a shared experience here in the middle of his letter to the Romans, then he's speaking of an experience that he shares as well one that he is intimately familiar with. He's telling us his story, which is our story, the greater story we're all in together. Now, to catch up with Paul's train of thought here, he's in the middle of a discussion about God's law, as articulated principally in the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament. The big question is, does God's law provoke human sin? Like when your mom said, don't eat any of those cookies, and now all you can think about is stealing a cookie when she's not watching. Is that how it is? Must the giving of the law always result in the breaking of the law? Paul's short answer is yes. Very important. The law provokes 
disobedience. The law provokes it. The law brings it about. The law demonstrates it. Wherever you say, guys, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, you provoke sin. And guess what? Sin will be the outcome. Wherever the law is, sin will abound because of our sinful nature. But that's not the full story. In Romans chapter 7, verse 7, Paul asks, Should we say that the law is the same as sin? No, not at all. However, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. I wouldn't have known what coveting really was unless the commandment had said, Do not covet. And then sin Seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every greedy, lustful, coveting desire. You see, without the law, sin lies dead, lies dormant. Now, once upon a time, I was living without the law. Then the commandment came. Sin sprang to life and I died. And it occurred to me that the very commandment intended to bring life actually brought death. Because sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So, the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. Was it this good thing then that brought death to me? No, No, but for sin to be recognized as sin, it worked through that good thing to produce death in me so that through the commandment, sin would be exposed at its worst. Now, we know that the law is of God's Spirit, given by God. But I, myself, I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin, because I do not understand what I do. I don't do what I want to do. I do what I hate. Now, if I don't do what I want to do, then I am agreeing that the law is good. Yet it is not me doing it, but sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful flesh, in my sinful nature. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Because the good I want to do is not what I do. No, the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Now, if I don't do what I want to do, it is no longer I who does it. But it is sin living in me that does it. This is what I find out about the law. Whenever I want to do good, evil is right there with me. In myself, in my inner person, I delight in God's law but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, taking me captive as a slave to sin dwelling in the members of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will save me from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I was talking with a friend of mine who has a child in middle school. My friend was sharing how their son was having these aha moments last year in school as he was trying to navigate the social complexities of middle school. At the beginning of the school year, my friend's son thought that he had an accurate impression of people, 
an accurate assessment of their character. Those kids over there were mean. These kids over here were nice. The ones over there were bullies. The ones over here were innocent victims. But over the course of the year, he came to see that there's more to the story. The victims weren't altogether innocent. They had their own ways of bullying, resentfully getting even, even striking first sometimes. And the bullies weren't as strong as they looked at the beginning of the year. In a lot of ways, they were victims just like the others. Paul, the writer of this letter that we were listening to, is working toward a similar aha moment, toward a transformative revelation. He's inviting us to lean into this story that leans on Jesus. Villains, victims, we're all the same, really. We've seen the enemy and he is us. We have seen the enemy and the enemy is us. I love that. And, and I love the fact that Paul is seemingly to, to, to clearly indicate that sin dwells in him. He's not been freed from the sinful nature. It is still present. It is still at work and it's still keeping him from doing the things he wants to do. And it keeps leading him to doing those things he doesn't want to do. He's still a sin, a sinner. And he stopped reading verse 25. He just said, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yeah, Jesus Christ is the one who does deliver us. He saves us by imputing our righteousness to us and declaring us to be righteous, even though we are not. And so what is the reality of the Christian life? So then with my mind, I serve the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. As a Christian, we know, we study God's word, we believe it to be true that this is right, this is wrong, and I want to serve the law, but that's in my mind, but in my flesh, when it comes to trying to live it out, the things I want to do, I don't, and the things I don't want to do, those are the things I do because I'm still a sinner. But in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. Why? Because I'm in Christ Jesus. we have an enemy that's greater than us, an enemy called sin. We're all guilty and deserve God's judgment. We're all trapped in an evil system from which we cannot escape. And God gave us his law to show us the situation we're in. Whether it's the law God gave to Israel in the form of the Ten Commandments or the work of the law written on every human heart, God gave it to show us the truth about ourselves and to call us all back to lean on Jesus. You and I are more than just villains, and we aren't merely victims. None of us are as innocent as we'd like to be, nor as strong as we hope to be. But we are loved and valued and victorious in Jesus, because God leans into us. While we were still enemies, God loved us. While we were still weak, Jesus died for us. And we die with him in baptism so that we might die daily to sin and lean into his resurrection victory over it. Jesus changes the way we see ourselves and others, even our villains. He died and rose for them too, you know. And that fact alone makes them worthy not only of wrath, but 
also of pity and love and a welcome into God's story, God's family. Humanly speaking, all this is much easier done once you've leaned into that person's story. It can even hold true for a fictional villain like Darth Vader. As George Lucas once said of his creation, he's scary at first, but then you learn that he's done a lot of horrible things in his life that he isn't particularly proud of. Ultimately, he's just a pathetic guy who's had a very sad life. The first film, they thought he was a monster. In the second film, it's revealed that he's a human being. And in the third film, you find out that, yes, he's a father and a regular person like the rest of us. He's just got a bit of a complexion problem. And if leaning into this story helps us feel some pity for a scourge of the star system, then maybe we can find some love for villains of less galactic proportions. In the name of Jesus, amen. And that's the latest episode of The Lutheran Hour, based off Romans chapter 7, something to give you, something to really consider and to think about. The bottom line is we, we are still the villain in so many ways. We still have a sinful nature. The law continues to reveal that. The law continues to bring us under condemnation, and our only hope is in Christ Jesus. In Christ, holy, righteous. In Christ, we aren't the villain. We are the hero of the story. In Christ, we are without sin. We are perfect. But in our flesh, we're weak. We are the villain. And we continue to sin. That's the latest episode of the Lutheran Hour. I would challenge you to go listen to the rest of it. There's like, I think, eight minutes left. I'm assuming there's going to be some kind of discussion maybe at the end. Uh, You can go check that out if you would like. The Lutheran Hour, um, you can find that wherever you get your podcast. You should subscribe to the Lutheran Hour. Um, Again, I don't agree with their doctrine on baptism, but there's a lot there to consider and to think about. And it does fit kind of perfectly with what we talked about in the last live broadcast. So more for you to contemplate, more for you to think about. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you would like more information and see all of the things that we do, you can go to theologycentral.net, theologycentral.net. That's our pod page. I think you may have an opportunity to leave a review or a five-star rating there. Uh, If you use an Apple device, we always appreciate you going to the Apple podcast app and leaving us a five-star rating. That is super helpful, super. We really do appreciate that. Um, And if in whatever podcast app you use, if they offer you, uh, like on Spotify, I think they allow you to offer a rating. Please give us a rating there on Spotify as well. Um, Whatever app you use, if it offers a a chance to to give a rating, a five-star rating is always wonderful and great. And of course, if you'd like to support us, theologycentral.net, there is a way to do that there. There's the donate tab if you so desire to support what we try to do here. All right. Thanks for listening. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Let's never forget, we are the villain of the story because we are sinners and we will always be sinners until we are we receive a glorified body, until we're completely transformed 
for now, our hope is not in what we do. Our hope is in what Christ did and what we are in Christ, which is forgiven, holy, perfect, and obedient because of imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. Thanks for listening. God bless.